Welcome again, everyone, to the Global Migration Podcast. Today will be season two finale. Thank you so much to the UBC Center for Migration Studies for their support. This is your host, Mohamed Saleh, and today my guest will be Nidal Ezzedin, a wonderful and an amazing human being that will share his experience and reflect on 10 years of the Syrian conflict. Hello, and welcome again to the Global Migration Podcast Season 2. Episode 8 is featuring Nidal Ezzedin, a co-founder of the Syrian Civil Defense, also known as the White Helmets, and a recent newcomer to Canada, who will share his experiences reflecting on 10 years of conflict. Nidal, welcome to the show. We are so happy that you are joining us. Thank you, Mohammed, for having me. And actually, this is my second English, maybe speech or meeting or podcast interview? or interview in my life. The first one was in Lisbon three years ago, and I spent that speech just crying. So <laughs> it wasn't that wasn't anything understanding during that that interview. So I hope that I can be stronger today because, as you know, it's very tough life which we spent before. Well, in the beginning, I'd like to ask you to introduce yourself in your own words to our listeners. Okay. My name is Nidal Azuddin. I'm 40 years old as a physical, but mental, I feel that I'm 30, maybe, or maybe 20, or maybe younger than this. Because there's a lot of years in my life, I... I don't like it's collect to, to be a part of my life. So my life to date has a general two parts before the Syrian revolution uh, and after. Actually, I was a young dentist and basketball coach uh, searching for my passion until the revolution uh, has begun. I dream of bringing change to my country, Syria. But a year later, I was forced to leave my homeland for Turkey. I kept my passion and I keep my hope in my heart to be a part of something greater than myself. I helped to establish the largest locally led humanitarian organization in the Middle East. I own an international uh, peace award. I became an international public speaker on peace and the humanitarian response and uh, realized my personal actually dream of uh, being easily Googleable. It's one <laughs> of my, <laughs> my dreams. Uh, now I can find myself if I Google my name. And, and which is good. Actually, the third part of my life is beginning here in Canada. 
After my difficult years, I want to focus on my passion again for being a peacemaker and change maker around the world while creating stable life for myself and for my wife, most important person in my life, mm-hmm. and starting to check off items on my pocket list. Wonderful. Amazing. Thank you so much for breaking this down very beautifully thank you for the introduction and in today's episode we want to hear from you about these three different stages of your life before 2011 you were a completely different person you were trained as a dentist you played basketball Uh, you were actually a coach for a local team and your career was in pharmaceuticals Suddenly, everything changes for you and you become an activist for peace. You end up co-founding a Nobel Prize nominated organization that saved so many lives. What I want to talk with you right now is about what is the turning point for you in 2011 and how did you change and why? Okay, actually, this is one of my greatest twist in my life actually it's 10 years ago and I don't forget this day March 2011 in the first protest in my city house I was I was dreaming in this day I was dreaming when people can be in the streets and when they can say no for the dictator dictatorship and and in my country it was an amazing day. Actually, I still have the salt taste from my tears. When I come back to home uh, and uh, after the, the protest, and I told my mom, today I just born. Today I am one day old. I'm not 30 because it was the first day I feel that I'm a human. I have dignity. I have a freedom. Now, that was in your home city, uh, in in Homs, Syria, right? Yes, in Homs city. Um, Where did you go to the demonstration, to the protest? Was it like in the central square? Yes, actually, it was in central square in front of the, what they called... uh, There's the statue of the clock? Yes, 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 in the central... Oh my God, I can't believe this. This is, wow, this is beyond amazing because I realized that this is also my first protest participation. (laughs) I also lived in Homs and I was going to the faculty of medicine back then when I decided to participate in the uprising. And that, my friend, was the first protest I ever participate in. And I also hear you when you say that because I also felt that I was born on that day. And when I talked to my friends afterwards, I told them that I felt like I I have used my voice for the first time ever. And it that was so beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing that. Thank you, Muhammad. Actually, it was it, as I said, it was a great dream for 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 Syrian people to just to feel that they are human. We still, actually, there's a lot of photos. It's still Kobe or sounds 
it's still Kobe uh, inside my our minds. It's uh, Khalid Saeed, the first martyr in Egypt. The first martyr, martyr in, in Egypt. Egypt He's yeah. still alive inside ourselves. The guy who was running in, in Tunisia streets and he said Bin Ali Harab. Uh, that means that Bin Ali ran away. The, the, the dictator of Tunisia. Yes, dictator of Tunisia, yes. And we still remember a lot, a lot of murders who's fallen in the first of uprising in Syria. They still alive in, inside us. They made the impossible possible. Yes, and they made the sacrifice that continues to live in us. Right. Now, the Arab Spring brought change to the entire region, including Syria and including you. As a result, you ended up being pushed away from your city and you had to organize from the outside to respond to a brutal government that decided to shoot at protesters. So you went from working in pharmaceuticals and your regular basketball interests and hobbies into organizing protests, rescuing people, fighting fires. All this work resulted in the creation of what's known today as the Syrian white helmets. Your work was directly related to the city of Homs, that suffered greatly from the uprising. So when you were pushed away from the city, but you still worked on creating the teams of the white helmets for the city, how was that journey, you know, from the inside? And what did it lead in your life? This journey started after just one year of the revolution, Syrian revolution, actually, unfortunately, the revolution changed and... I think you are referring to the time when the peaceful uprising turned into a military conflict. Yes. The militarization of the movement and the switch from peace to conflict. Yes, yes. Actually, actually this is... It was the most tough period during uh, last 10 years when you see the red and green and black flags and uh, you see multiple people coming abroad coming through borders to syria to just run a war and uh, as a proxy war actually everything changed when maybe a hundred thousand of people crossing the border and they left their homes, their friends, their Mm -hmm. lands, their dreams uh, behind them. I found myself one of those people who's forced to cross the border and, and, and to leave their home. Actually, that moment changed me and put me in a a real shock uh, because what I was dreaming before, it's just changed to be a nightmare. After that, I believe and I like something Muhammad Ali Clay says that heroes are not made in in indoor Heroes are made of things deep within them. 
divination, dream, and vision. Because of that, I was one of, of a group who has a dream and a vision. Uh, in 2013, I started to establish a, a team of uh, firefighters mm-hmm. and first response to save lives for victims uh, and the rebels in, in my city. Actually, there's something like magic. I don't know what, uh, what I can say. This idea, it was in the same time in multi-governor or multi-cities in Syria mm-hmm. established in the same time because it was a need for, for the people who need help. Because a, there's a lot of Syrian people who's, uh, who, are, who were a part of the revolution. They don't believe in violence. They don't believe in, uh, in armed and uh, to carry weapon, to mm-hmm. kill each other. So we coming as humanitarian workers. And the funny is before that moment, we don't know anything about humanitarian works, anything. Because as you, as you know, Syria, it's kind of uh, a closed area, not, not physically closed area. It's like mentally closed area. Because of that, we was out of date for everything happened in the world. We just know what the government want us to know. It's amazing to hear how normal everyday people like you started responding to the community needs in your cities. And those teams grew together in every single Syrian city to form a national body called the Syrian Civil Defense that has so far saved hundreds of thousands of lives and still is uh, right now responding to the needs of the Syrian people and being there to expose the atrocities that are being committed. Thank you so much for your work and thank you so much for sharing about the creation of such an amazing organization. Now, this work eventually brought you here to Canada. I remember in 2018, when you were invited to come to Canada and testify in front of Canadian Parliament to talk about your experience with the White Helmets and to talk about the Syrian uprising. Later, you decided to come back to Canada and start over here. But we will come to that. Let's talk about the end of the second stage of your life, because I realized that before Canada, you have Syria before 2011 and Syria after 2011. How did that end leading to come to Canada? Okay, actually, there's a great part. It started in end of 2014 when uh, a guy... His name, James Lemigeur, was invite the, the old civil defense teams who's working in the Syrian field to union them. And it was the real born of the White Helmet. Before 2014, before James, we was a 
teams of humanitarian workers in search and rescue. And after 2014, we coming as an international organization. This international organization after that, it's made up more than 4,000 heroes. They were able to give a life for more than 100,000 people and save them under rubbles. But this work, unfortunately, has price. This price was that we lost more than 280 heroes who was killed because of double taps, who was uh, the Syrian regime was made when they shield or target any area. And after our teams running to that area, they shield the, the, the area or target the area again. Because of that, we lost more than 280 heroes. And finally, we lost James himself. James was founded as, uh, as it did in, in Istanbul, Turkey, in November uh, 2019. But I believe that James Bass, his message, or deliver his message to us, and I believe that, that he one of a gods. He has a message. He worked with this message. He changed our life. And he, he gives a life for a thousand people, a thousand Syrian people. You know, I heard the Syrian uh, president, uh, dictator Bashar al-Assad on TV, saying that uh, James Lemajer was a British agent. <laughs> And that you guys are Israeli agents. <laughs> so um, can you tell me more about your connection with Israel? <laughs> I mean, you're here telling me about all the sacrifices and the wonderful work of this man who literally gave his life to his cause and his sacrifice saved so many people. And all you get is being called an agent and a terrorist or in, in best case scenario, maybe a traitor. Uh, Nidal, in your story, you describe the journey or the decision that you made to leave Syria and the humanitarian work in Syria and open a new page to come to Canada. You describe this crossing as crossing a river where you are trying your heart to swim against the current but you realize that you have chains hooked to your legs and they are pulling you down. The chains that came with you are in one foot your complex experience in Syria and in the other foot is the challenging process of starting over in Canada. Tell me more about the crossing and about the chains that pull you down and, and prevent you from coming here. How do you reflect on that today, 10 years after? Okay, thank you, Muhammad. Uh, as you said, I feel that I am now in a river standing on a land. That river was flooding, and I should take my decision to, to jump in the water and swimming to the 
to the bank and just to to starting over again because that chains are are part of me i can't break this chains because actually the first chain is it's my history it's my childhood it's my experience it's my life before the revolution it's my education it's my career it's my hobbies it's it's everything i can i can find my wife in this chain and for me i can't i can't break this chain i can i can't just turn my head and close my eyes i and i say no this is not my past this is not my history i just starting over i can't do this i discovered that it's a part of me and uh, the second chain is the challenges which is i faced here in canada the english language i need to study again i need to just to look for for a new work and uh, i need to to live in new community i need to live with different peoples they don't speak my language actually i i'm full of of fail i'm full of success i think it's not just my challenge it's a challenge for every newcomer who's coming to canada or who just change his home because for me canada is my home now because i lost my home i don't imagine that i can come back to syria again or even in the dreams it was just a time it a period and it's just pass but to start over again here with nothing just this is the most hard thing for me and this is what i work for now i work just to to carry my success and to write what i faced in my history because i believe that writing is the path to immortality and eternity you know i hear you talk about the crossing swimming the river from syria to canada i hear you talk about one chain that is your experience tying you to syria and another chain that is the challenges of starting over tying you to canada i hear that but what i can also imagine is those two chains you're describing are maybe the bridge that can help you cross from one bank to another you are coming with a lot of experience that will help you overcome the challenges that you will face here hopefully and i hope you find a bridge in your chains now looking forward i want you to share with us a bit about your dreams and aspirations for the future and what is it that you want to do here in canada actually hamodi unfortunately i i looked a lot to find any bridge but i couldn't find any bridge because of that i feel that i need to swim to the another bank as i said i have a lot of dreams and all of my dreams almost my dreams are just holding because i just waiting my another beautiful half i just waiting my wife because after two and a half years she can't come to canada yet she just waiting for 
paperworks, paperworks, paperworks. And this is actually, this is the most thing make me disappointed about living in Canada, bureaucracy. It's crazy here. What I'm looking for now, as I said, I'll, I need to start over again. I need to study something. Can I make me more creative? and can make me able to transform my experience to real work. Actually, now I'm just working as, as a delivery, uh, food delivery, because until now I, I couldn't join any school or any university, which is I am looking for, uh, which is I, I hope to do, because as I said, my history, uh, my old career, it's just, for me, it's an experience, a past, and I need to start over again. Wow, but this is shocking. I mean, I am talking today to an international hero who's done so much, and you have a lot of skills and experience that you bring here to Canada, and the best you can find is over delivery, and I am very disappointed that Canada is not taking advantage of people like you on behalf of everybody in the show, on behalf of all our listeners. We hope that you are reunited with your wife very soon so that she can be here next to you so you can both lean on each other and help each other with the process of starting over. Nidal Azuddin, before you leave us, I want you to say a few last words, recognizing that we are recording this episode on the 10th anniversary of the Syrian uprising, and also recognizing that this is the final episode, the season finale of the Global Migration Podcast. I'd like to take this opportunity to thank you so much for joining us, and I'd like you to say a few closing words. Thank you, Muhammad, for having me. And I would like to, to add something good to this country because actually I raised in land. They called it as an Eastland or Eastern land. And they called for the lands here as Western land. But what I feel and what I see, it's an opposite. Because when I arrived to Canada, upon arrival to Canada, I, I see that the Eastern is here. The sun is rising from here. The sun is rising. Wow. So in that uh, way, it's more East here and it's more sure. West there, right? <laughs> sure. <laughs> That's sure. interesting. Sure, sure. Because I say, as I said, I believe in science. I believe in humanity. I believe that people together can do an awesome things. This is what I feel here. I know it's hard to make a friendship in, in Canada, especially in Vancouver, but I like how I can see that people respect each, each other. I like that there's no bloodshed here. I like that people make their dreams true in this land. And I, I hope that my situation will come better soon after my wife joining me here in Canada. Because actually, my wife is she's the most important person in my life. I love her. I feel that I can't live without her because she's everything for me. She's everything for me.
And I hope that everything will be better soon. Thank you. Thank you so much. And you were right. You are going to cry. I thought you were going to end this interview without crying, but you did deliver your promise and cried at the end, thinking of your better half. Again, on behalf of all of our listeners, we hope that you are reunited together soon and that you can have her here ASAP. This is Mohamed Saleh, and you have been listening to the Global Migration Podcast Season 2 Finale. Thank you so much to the UBC Center for Migration Studies for supporting this project. This episode was recorded on the 10th anniversary of the Syrian uprising over Zoom on the unceded territories of the Coast Salish people, including the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh nations. Thanks to all our listeners, and thanks to Nidal for joining us today. If you'd like to support the GoFundMe campaign behind this project, you can find it in the description. I hope that you all enjoyed this season. Thank you so much for joining us. And hopefully you will hear more from us with more great projects. Thank you so much.